We're in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Mm. Praise God. Um, <laughs> man, I think it's really interesting how... Uh, Jesus drives them out of the temple, and then they're like, well, what sign are you going to show us that gives you the right to even do it? And he just says, oh, like, I, you know, like, basically, obviously not in these words, but like, oh, well, I'm going to die for you and then rise again, and that gives me the right. Um, and that's just like, I, so in the, um, the Jesus book by Michael Cleanos, he talks about how uh, Jesus has, a right to uh, a right to our affection, like he deserves it all. Like as his bride, like he deserves he deserves our attention. Um, and he, it's not something that like necessarily like uh, what's the word? Having a brain aneurysm right now. Um, but anyways, he has a right. He has a right to our affection um, and our love. And it's by, like, his cross is by his blood. Like, that obviously, like, he deserves it because of that. Um, and I think it's interesting how, like, it's, hold on, I got to read my note. I'm sorry, I need to write there. You're good. We can edit down. <laughs> um, it's like, so like, they were like mixing uh, in his house. Like, it, there was a lot of mixture, obviously. And he was driving out the mixture. And so he's basically saying like, I'm gonna drive out this mixture by my blood. And like, that is what's gonna um, bring purity. Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think it's wild that he's like, yeah, like I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And that gives me the right to do this. You know, it's crazy. That's good. Crazy. Um, I think, uh, well, Jess, you have anything you want to jump in before I? No, go ahead. All right. So I, I think it's, uh, and Tiffany actually pointed this out when, when her and I went through it uh, yesterday. Um, she thought it was worth noting that uh, it says that after he died, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word Jesus had spoken. It wasn't before. It was after they saw that he prophesied his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. But they believed him. And this is, I think this, this is a really big passage because a couple of reasons. One there, it shows the faith that the disciples had. So the whole idea of blind faith is not a 
honestly is not a biblical concept. Um, I think it was really brought about by people criticizing Christians and Christians just kind of take it as, yeah, you know, we're just, we're, it doesn't matter what happens. We just, we're going, we know that this is right, like period in the story. Um, but that's not the faith that's described in the Bible. The, uh, the Greek word pistis, which is what we, uh, trans, uh, what we translate as faith is closer to, um, belief because of evidence. So it would be like saying, if I go get on a plane, I have faith. If I get on a plane in Atlanta, flying to Chicago, I have faith that I'm going to make it to my destination. Now that faith is not blind. It's not based in no reality. Um, I've seen planes take off and land before. I know that pilots have a pretty stringent uh, training and education that they have to go through. It's a background before they can fly a plane. Uh, I have a general understanding of the physics and aerodynamics and things like that that are required to actually make a plane fly. So, yes, there is a little bit of trust that I, I have to have unknowing because, you know, I'm not the one that's flying it myself. I don't have a perfect understanding of what's there, but it is it is a faith that is at least somewhat based in evidence. Um, so with, with Christianity, it's not just like I, I'm going off of what the Bible says with no real reason to believe whatsoever. I just picked this random religion that I'm deciding that I'm going to follow. <laughs> it is looking at the evidence that is there. Um, and I think one piece of evidence that we have is right here in this passage because yes, Jesus here is talking about his his death and resurrection, but he is also prophesying the actual temple being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And that is significant because, and I, I went into this a little bit with, um, I did, I think it was a three part, three episodes about how we know the Bible is true. <clears throat> and one of the reasons we can we can know that it's true is because it can't be um basically it can't be a, a myth or an urban legend if it was written by people in the same generation that the events happened so in order for it to be a, a myth or a legend it has to be it, there's a, a, a study i cite it has to be like at least 80 years removed from the actual events the reason that's significant is because in 70 AD, um, if if you're not familiar with Middle Eastern history, you'll you'll be familiar with this. But there was a an event, the Roman Jewish War, where Rome decided that they were going to increase taxes and take even more, and Jerusalem basically said, "Come and take it," and it did not go well for the Jewish people. Um, they got put down and put down hard. Um, Josephus was a historian that wrote about this and his, his quote, and I don't, obviously he wrote in not English, so it's not an exact quote, but the translation is basically, uh, they, they finally broke through the walls. It took them forever for the Roman troops to finally break through the walls of the city. And when they did, they were mad 
and they took it out on these people. They crucified everyone, literally everyone. Said they crucified people and to, until Judea ran out of wood, and then they started reusing the crosses. Um, like, massive event. And so the fact that that is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, there's only one logical reason for it not being mentioned. It hadn't happened yet. Um, you know, if, <clears throat> if this gospel was being written after that happened, then why would they not include, just like Jesus prophesied, the temple being destroyed, it was destroyed. Like, that gives more credit to the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. So the fact that that's not in there at all, but also it's not mentioned anywhere. Um, and this would have been something that was noteworthy, especially, you know, considering that um, uh, James was the, the bishop of the, the church there. Um, this was the central hub for Christianity at the time. Everyone was going in and out of here. Like all the writers that we have in the New Testament would have been very familiar with, with this area, they would have probably frequented this area a lot. So the fact that it's not mentioned at all, and then specifically here that Jesus foretells it happening, and they don't even say like that it did happen, is really, really strong evidence that this gospel specifically was written prior to 70 AD, which puts it well within the... 80 year span that it takes for a myth to develop. And the reason that's significant is because you can't start writing and passing this stuff around while people that are like firsthand accounts are there, because if it's not true, they'll just say, no, that's not how it actually happened. Um, you have to have the first generation there all die off. So the fact that, you know, that's not mentioned is, is significant. Um, but, uh, uh, no, I think that's in this very, very important little section, I think, for, for multiple different reasons like that. Um, Jess, you got anything else you want to throw in? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> All righty. Um, verse 23. Um, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And that is the end of chapter two. I think this it does a good job setting up there. Um, I think the significance of what we just read and the fact that it goes into Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is important because it shows that, you know, Jesus, and this is, you know, the Holy Spirit now knows what it would take to get through to a, a certain person um what's it going to take for you know for for me to actually see that christianity is is real um and see that christianity is is not just a truth but the truth 
Um, same with, with, with both you guys, same with everybody. And I think that we see with how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus seems to be very different than how we see him interact with a lot of the other Jewish leaders. And I think the reason why is because um, we, I talked about this in I think the 20 questions in 20 minutes, um, but getting at the, the idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is knowing that Jesus is who he says he is, knowing that the gospel is true and choosing to reject it anyways. That falls in line with the a lot of the Jewish leaders of the day. And I think that's why, especially, I mean, Jesus seemed to be so blunt to the point. Um, you know, even when we see when he, he hears the heals, the uh, um, paraplegic, um, but before he heals them, he, you know, he goes down and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then uh, I can't just imagine this. Jesus turns and responds to not what the Pharisees said, what the Pharisee thought. Um, but he says, because it specifically says the Pharisee thought, you know, who is this? Who has the authority to give sins except God himself? And then Jesus says uh, to show you that the Son of Man not only has the authority to forgive sins, uh, and he looks at the man, he says, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the guy gets up and walks away. And, I mean, just like, I can't even imagine, like having having a thought, not speaking it out loud, just having a thought, and then Jesus responding directly to what you said, that would have to be, and then seeing the miracles and things that he's doing, you know that these guys know know the Old Testament inside and out. They have to see the connections. They have to know what's going on. Um, and, and they're still deciding to reject that. So I think that this sets up nicely with Nicodemus. And then later on, we'll see the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, how Jesus interacts with these people, it's not just that he knows man in general, but he knows each individual man or woman or, you know, whatever. And he knows how to communicate to them. Um, I do think there are people that are just, they are completely unwilling to accept the truth, even no matter what happened. Like, and I think that's what we saw with the Pharisees. Uh, or with a lot of the Pharisees, even, um, you know, there's a, uh, I, I, I enjoy watching debates. Um, and there's one I watched between, uh, Braxton Hunter and Matt Dillahunty. And it was about the existence of God, whether it was real, I think it was about the existence of God. Um, well, Braxton Hunter ended up asking Matt Dillahunty, if, let's say, a, an asteroid crashes into the moon and it, the debris that's left over spells out, Jesus is God, in English, Spanish, Hebrew, German, Greek, um, French, like 70 different languages from the debris of this asteroid crashing into the moon. 
would that be enough evidence for you? And his response was no, because it could be aliens playing a practical uh, cosmic joke or something like that. And so I'm like, okay, at that point, there's, there's nothing that you can say to that person that's going to move them. Um, I think that is just someone who is at a point where they are so completely shut off to the possibility of it being true. I don't want to say there's no possible way that they could be reached. Um, but I, I, I could see, I could see that being the case where maybe there is no possible way that they could be reached because they're not even willing to consider it as a possibility. Now, God can still get through to people. Um, there are people that maybe they, they seem like they are that stuck in their ways, but maybe they're not actually, and there is a, a way that you can get through to them and stuff like that. But I think um, this goes to show that, you know, the reason I'm kind of tying this up. The reason that Jesus was like that is because he had the guiding of the Holy spirit in him, the same that we do now, <clears throat> you know, there may be, conversation you have with somebody that you feel like you are supposed to bring up something or talk about a certain topic and you have no idea why and it doesn't make sense and you know it's like well, okay this is way too personal like i don't need to be saying this but if you are if you're a christian if you're being led by the spirit and this takes practice of understanding that voice and, and knowing that voice um but as you continue to do that and you start to be led by the spirit, you're going to see that that's not just a random conversation. That's you saying stuff that's going to open the door for that person. And I think that's what we see with Jesus. That's why he approached Nicodemus the way that he did. That's why he approached uh, the woman at the well the way that he did. That's why he just, he walked up and he saw these random guys fishing in a boat. And he says, Hey, you're a uh, fisherman. Now I'm going to make you fishermen. Come follow me. Um, you know, he knew what people needed to hear. And he went to that. And that, that's an example of how, how we should be. We're not going to be perfect with it, um, obviously. But the more we practice listening to the Spirit and the guidance of the Spirit, the more we actually act on what we hear, the better we're going to get at hearing it and the more successful we're going to be when we're talking with people, I think. Um, let's go ahead. I've, I just went off on a tangent again. It's been... It has been... <clears throat> like two weeks since we've recorded possibly longer. It may be almost three weeks since we recorded. Um, and it's been too long. So I'm getting like all this, I'm just like word vomiting all over the, everything. It's all right. Okay. I'll go. Um, I really like this last part of the passage. Um, cause I think it reveals a lot of how it says many believed in his name when they saw the signs, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them or didn't entrust himself to them. Um, I think it just goes to show how like mere belief is not enough. Amen. Um, I mean, what is it? James two nineteen that says even the demons. <clears throat> um, so we know like belief is not enough, but it's a life and a heart surrendered unto him. And, uh, and he knows our hearts. So he knows like who is surrendered and who's not. So those who are surrendered, he he entrusts himself to. And I think it's just wild that, like, if you just give yourself to him, he gives himself to you. It's like me for him, him for me. And that's just what an unfair trade that is. 
but it also just goes to show how like um i was talking i was talking i was talking to jess about this last night about how like the lord like he uses a lot of people but there's specific people that are like his dear like friends like there's a difference between pastor michael says this this is not me but it's really good there's a difference between uh a friend and an employee and how like they're both used, but the friend has intimacy and the employee just does it because it's an obligation to do it. Um, and he uses uh, the story of Moses and then Miriam and Aaron. He says, Moses was a friend and Marin, Marin, Miriam and Aaron were employees and how uh, numbers 12 uh, talks about how Aaron and Miriam were uh, trying to say, well, like, you know, like, the Lord speaks to us too. He doesn't just speak to Moses and the Lord like corrects them real fast. And he's like, actually, like I speak to Moses yeah. face to face. I don't even speak to you face to face. And like, you know, like, Hey, the Lord is not scared to say I'm closer to this person than I am the other. I mean, when he went, Jesus went up on the Mount transfiguration, he only took three with him. He did not care if it offended the other nine. He did not care at all. He just took the three with him because he knew that, he could trust these three. And these were his close, like, inner circle people. And uh, so those are the people that he really, I'm not going to say he didn't commit himself to the other nine, because he did, but there's a deeper intimacy, intimacy, like, that he did with that three, that he, like, they they saw the mysteries of God way more than the other nine did. And uh, I think just the fact that, just in general that Jesus commits himself to us and he entrusts himself to us is like, what an honor and like just wild praise God. And I think an, an interesting point to kind of tie into that, that we really, we don't know. It doesn't talk about it in the gospel. We don't really have any way to see it, but how much of that difference was because of, how hungry the three were, um, how, how much more they valued that relationship or, um, you know, things like that. And that's something that I think, I think definitely is a possibility that played a role in it. It's not just, you know, Jesus necessarily liked them more. Um, I think part of it would be how, how seriously they took what was being said and taught and how much they took it to heart how hungry they were to, to learn more and to know more. Um, but no, I, I think that's, that's a, that's an interesting point. I like that. Jess. Um, great points guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, like great points. I think that also, um, you know, it says because of, uh, the the miraculous signs that Jesus did, uh, many began began to trust in him and that uh, or to believe in him. But but Jesus didn't commit himself, like you were saying, Aubrey didn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. So I just think that's going to be a great like segue into John chapter three with uh, with Jesus telling Nicodemus that he has to be born again because it. It's almost like, like, yeah, 
these people believed in him because of his because of his miraculous signs but it was like like a superficial belief like like an intellectual persuasion almost like oh yeah i do believe you're the son of man like i do believe you're the son of god but you know like you said aubrey like he he knows your heart and he knows if you truly um if you commit you have to fully commit yourself to him it's not just a belief so I think that's going to be a great segue into what we talk about um, in John chapter three about being born again and how it's not just an intellectual belief, but um, a spiritual rebirth. Oh yeah. All right. That wraps up chapter two. What are you guys thinking? You want to call it? You want to push on? What's your what's your uh, time frame looking like? If you guys need to call it, we can call it. Because I know getting into chapter three, there's it's gonna be like verse fifteen before we get to a like a decent breaking point. So it's it's would probably be at least another thirty minutes, and I know it's getting kind of later. So I think we ended on a good spot. <laughs> okay. I think I, I do think that was a that was a, a nice way to kind of wrap it up. So, yeah, let me stop the.